Well, good morning, Purpose. It's good to see you this morning. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles or your phones, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on, we're in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. So you can pull those out. Uh, chapter 3, we're starting today in verse 12. Um, it's, good, it's good to be back. I don't get to see, I, I really am. I didn't leave. I didn't leave. I don't know. Hey, that's nice. But I, I didn't leave. Just as an update, and I'm, I just want to, it's kind of blowing my mind, um, all that God's doing, but just kind of as an update, um, I think at one, I think I just had the greatest team up there. They're doing an incredible job. Uh, it still goes when I'm gone, which is a little, kind of disheartening a little bit. Because um, <clears throat> then I'll, I'll guarantee I'll get texts before I'm done today. Go, oh, James was so amazing. His message was awesome. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but he, Greg was right. We've seen people come to Christ. We've seen people get baptized. We've baptized people at Western. And then since it's been winter and I don't want to get in the cold water, we bring them to my house. I heat up the jacuzzi and we do it in style. But it's just, it's just so fun. And then we celebrated our one year uh, back in the middle of January. We had 400 people come out for it. And so to think that in a year, like, God is doing this thing. And I wish that I could tell you exactly what we've done. Like, Brian, you must be the strategist. I'm not. I'm just the talking head. And I, don't, I thought that by now I could have that, I could write that book. This is how you grow something, right? That's how you start something. I just have the Bible. And so I just feel like that's been working. And so it's just been awesome. It's good to be back. But man, I just want to thank God publicly. And then thank you for your support. Um, like I said, it's good to be back. Good to see you guys. Let's pray before we jump into, before we jump into the message this morning. <clears throat> Father, I pause before I speak to you because, I, because you're God. And how often do I just start jumping into what you're supposed to do? And we call it just prayer. Just, let's just pray. And that's just so horrifically horrible to do to you. And then I just jump into requests and this is what you should do rather than actually submitting to your will and longing for your will more than ours because maybe you who are eternal have a better idea of how things should work compared to those of us who are finite. So God, I pray that you would speak today in such a way that leaves us amazed with Jesus, that we would fall more in love with Jesus, that we'd be blown away by your grace and your mercy and more in tune with your spirit I pray that you would give us an ability to hear your truth, and I pray that nothing comes out of my mouth that is not of you. I don't want my agenda. I don't want, I don't want a personal opinion. I just want you. We just want your truth, and then give us the grace. Thank you, God. You want to give us grace that we would understand it and then apply it, and the Holy Spirit, you'll help us to do it. And so, God, have your way. <clears throat> Teach us as only you can. We pray this in Jesus' name. I would agree, says, Amen. Maybe Paul sat back against the wall. He just, finished, he, just, he just finished stating this one part in this letter to this, to this church in Philippi. And maybe he had to take a, just take a breath and just go, okay, that's, that's an enormous thing that I just said. And he's probably not writing it by himself since Timothy's with him. So Timothy's, it might be Timothy writing it out. And Paul's just kind of saying, this is what I want them to know. And so... All of a sudden, he just sits back and maybe tears fill up in his eyes because he's just thinking of the enormity of the statement he just said. See, a lot of times we just look at the scriptures and we, th- we kind of make the people who wrote them void of emotion that all of a sudden they kind of went to a trance and they just wrote. But maybe as he's just thinking through what it is that God has done in his life and remembering where he was before 
Then when you look earlier in chapter 3, he's like, okay, so I was it. I mean, I had everything. I mean, there's anybody that was trying to be like me in this religious world, man. Everyone wanted to be me. But, and then he 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 works again to look back at verse 8. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Like all these things that I had everything based on, I counted as loss. I can't remember if I shared this here, but it's been so long, you probably don't remember. But like, it used to be for me, like when I can make it, I'll know that I've made it as a pastor or a preacher. A lot of my identity was wrapped on how often am I preaching? Here's the thing, that if my identity, my purpose is based on what I do, who am I when I don't get to do those things anymore? Who are you when you don't get to do those things anymore? We see in Philippians 1.21, Paul's purpose. This is his purpose statement. I'm convinced this is the one thing he was about. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And to die is gain is not even part of his purpose. He's just saying, I am so about Jesus that if I'm to die in the process, great. How crazy do you have to be? He's in prison. And this is the letter known as the letter of joy. So think about it. If he's in prison, a Roman guard, a Praetorian guard, that's like the, the Navy SEALs of the day. Can you imagine a Roman guard having to go in there, sit with Paul, the apostle, who just thinks Jesus is the greatest? Can you imagine him going in and going, okay, you know what? Yesterday, my buddy told me you wouldn't stop talking about this Jesus guy. So I'm telling you, if you talk about Jesus today, I'll kill you. And to hear Paul go, you promise? You promise? Because I hear that all the time. Your buddy didn't do it. He said the same thing. He wussed out. You promise? I promise. I will kill you. Okay. Let me tell you about Jesus. And then he just goes off. Like in that moment, who's in prison? Is it Paul or is it the guard? The guards have to endure it. And Paul's like, for me to live as Christ. For me, it used to be for me to live as preaching. For me to live as ministry. Until about six months ago, God freed me. I always thought if I make it, if I'm, there's this conference that everyone goes to and I'm too old for it now because they are all hipsters and wear tight jeans. But that's where they are. (laughs) You don't want to see this body in tight jeans. (laughs) But I thought, okay, when I make it, like when I get to preach there and and like Hillsong United opens up and that's when I've made it. And I just remember sitting there having a quiet time. It's just me and Jesus in my office at home and I'm just sitting there reading. I don't remember the passage. And this thought popped in my head. You know you've made it when you've obeyed me. And for some reason, it just went, I've made it. Because for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. He goes off, he says, okay, all this other stuff, it's worthless. It's a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. So it it brought me this one question. Is Jesus worth it to you? Is Jesus worth all of this? Where you look at Jesus and go, no, you are of supreme importance in my life. There's nothing more valuable than Jesus to me. It's this love affair with him. Or has it just turned into a set of doctrines and traditions and this is what I'm supposed to do because I'm a Christian. Can you imagine me going home, looking at my wife, giving her a card that I wrote that said something like, Kelly, I'm giving you this because I'm supposed to, because we're married. And I love you because I'm supposed to, because we're married. 
rather than you blow my mind. And for some of you, have you just turned Jesus into, well, this is what I've always done. Time with him is sporadic. We find excuses why we don't do it, yet we always make time to scroll through fake lives on Facebook. We always find time to put fake lives of our own pictures on Facebook. Isn't it weird that we don't make time for the things that are supposed to be that much more important for us? So it comes back, as he of supreme importance, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord? For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Rubbish. I use that word all the time. Tyler, take out the rubbish. That's just a very polite way. And it's this word. It's, the one, it's only used one time in the Bible. And some of you guys know what that word is, and you thought, he's going to say it. I'm not going to say it. It's the word scuba. Like, guys, it's the SH word for poop. That's what it is. You're like, oh, no, Paul, it's in the Bible. There's no cuss words. Paul did it. So here's what it is. Like all these things that you find all your pride in, picture a diaper and what it's filled with. There it is. Paul says, all this other stuff that I found, all my value in, it's garbage, it's crap. It's not worth it. There's nothing to it. Compared to what? The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Not just being Christian, but loving him. Just can't get enough of him. So I consider it all rubbish. It's all garbage. It's all diaper stuff. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness, or that word righteousness, a right relationship with God of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith And then watch. I think this is where he just started getting all into it as Timothy's trying to keep up. That I may know him. That word know there isn't just no facts about him. It's not just being able to win a trivia pursuit when you get to heaven or when we're going to have family feud. It's not being able to answer all the questions. He's like, no, no, I want to know him by experience. Like, I don't just want this head knowledge. I just want this heart thing where it's just, uh, my heart just beats for this intimacy with the creator. All right. So here's the thing. If, if you've been brought up the church, I'm going to say a word and see if you can think of who it goes with. Okay, ready? Doubting. Thomas, doesn't that, doesn't that suck for him? Like, why do we give him that name? He's like, well, he doubted. So did all the rest of them. But we don't call him Doubting Peter. Doubting Paul, and Paul wasn't that part, but we don't call it Doubting Andrew. He said, well, he doubted. Guys, so do we. But can you imagine all of us are kind of expressing to each other? We give each other the nickname Doubting so-and-so. But guys, it's, I, think Tom, I think Thomas has gotten a bad rap for a couple thousand years. I think we need to stop calling him that. You know why? Because he did something I think Paul explains here. Remember, all the disciples are there except for Thomas. He's out grocery store shopping. Now he's getting beef jerky. So he's out there getting something. And Jesus shows up, shows himself to the disciples, and then he leaves. And then Thomas comes back and hey, we saw Jesus. And what's Thomas do? The same thing every single one of us would do. I want to experience it. I want to see. Okay, I'm not going to believe unless I what? Unless I see the nail marks in his hand, put my hand up into a side, then I'll believe. So when Jesus shows up, he doesn't look at Thomas and go, you slacker. You are lucky I don't zap you. What's he do? The first thing. He goes, Thomas, come here. Touch him. Now put your hand up. Yeah, right there. 
No, stop doubting and believe. No, so you doubted. Yeah. But the invitation came before expressing the thing that needed to change. And Jesus wasn't offended by it. We picture him so emotionless, but can you imagine him just showing up and all disciples going, we told you. And Thomas just looking, and I just picture this smile on Jesus' face, and I think it's this adoration for Thomas because he goes, you want me, and others of you have just settled for his stuff. So long as I get his stuff, that's fine. So long as I get heaven, and some of you, maybe, that if you were to get to heaven and Jesus wasn't there, you'd be okay because at least you get his stuff. Like streets of gold. Woo! Does it matter? They said, oh, it does. Unless you're going like, to steal a brick and put it in your house, it doesn't matter that it's made of gold. But think about it. That, that material on the planet that is the most precious to us, God uses for asphalt. That was, that's how incredible this place is. And Thomas was like, I just want to experience for myself. And that's all Paul says. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What's he saying? I want to, I want to experience the totality of Jesus. I, I want him. And we're just sitting there with his eyes welling up. He's like, oh, but oh, Timothy, you've got to get this part you got to write this part down because that seems too lofty. That seems too high. And so let me explain. Like, make sure they understand. And then he, then he jumps into verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. But what? I press on. Isn't that great to read? Like, you always picture Jesus and then Paul is Jesus Jr. And he didn't walk on water, but he did some cool stuff. And I could never be like Paul. Guys, Paul would be the first one to say, the only difference between Paul and us is that he said yes to Jesus in everything. He's a sinner who needed, the, who needed the grace of God. And he simply kept saying yes to Jesus. Why? Because it was the surpassing worth of knowing him. He says, I want to know him so well. I want to know the power of his resurrection. We're like, amen. I want to, I want to share in the fellowship of his suffering. Uh-uh, not that part. Paul, why'd you, Paul, why'd you screw up the sentence? Because I can't give you the principles that say your life gets better if you do these four things. If you apply these seven things, then your marriage is perfect, or your finances are perfect, or every li- everything in life is perfect. You never face any trials or temptations or struggles. Or All I can tell you is that Jesus came, and he made us his own. And he told us in this world, you will have trial, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And there are some principles that help us along the way in this thing called life. But really, guys, when we get together for worship, it's supposed to be Jesus. It's not supposed to be like a self-help time. Just give me the things that fix me. No, no, no. It's him. And Paul's saying, okay, I haven't made it yet. I haven't obtained all this, but I press on. Why? I'm not perfect. But I press on to, take, to make it my own. Because now this phrase got me this morning when I, re- re- when I reread it. Because Christ Jesus had made me, has made me his own. Is that just mind-blowing? <laughs> so I said, no, excuse me. No, 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 stop. You look at the Song of Solomon, it says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. That's this relationship that I belong to him. And he's not, it's not like the leftovers. I'm not a leftover piece to Jesus. The price he paid is huge and immense. 
I am my beloved's. He is mine. I could say that he is my treasure, and Jesus would say to you as well that you are his treasure. He loves and likes. He finds delight in us. He says, I haven't made, I haven't been made perfect, but I press, how, I press on that I make it my own, just like Christ has made me his own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So if I use this word, by a show of hands, how many can think of that one thing? When I use the word regret, how many can think of that one thing that you wish you could take back? I know it's just one, but that one thing, put your hand up. So six of you. So the rest of you just really regret that you lied. <laughs> that you're liars. Don't call me a liar. If you lie, you're a liar. That's just how it works. Yeah, we have this thing called regret, but here's the thing. For some of you, you have this regret, but it doesn't own you. It's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm past it. Others of you, you still live in it. And it's not conviction, it's just guilt. And you keep going to Jesus and asking for forgiveness for the thing that you did 10 years ago that he's already forgiven. And you keep asking and you have to realize that when you go, God, I know I just said it yesterday, but do you remember when I, and he's gonna sit there and go, no, I don't remember. As far as the east is from the west, so have I removed it from you. You live in guilt for no reason. We've offended a holy God and that holy God poured out his wrath on his only son. We were his objects of wrath. We are now his what? Objects of grace. For those of us in Christ, if not, if you don't know Jesus still, and it's hard to preach and I know it's not popular, but I gotta stick with the word. If you don't know Christ, you're still objects of his wrath. But oh, you're still objects of his grace. He wants you. Paul's just sitting there going, I haven't made it. Make sure they get that, Timothy. I haven't made it. I want to know Christ. I want to experience the resurrection. I'm not there yet. It hasn't happened. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So far in a couple verses, he uses the phrase press on twice. He says straining forward. Doesn't that sound like work? Doesn't he know that we're not striving to work? That's why we like our lazy boy chairs. We like cushions. We like comfortable. I thought it'd be, I thought it'd get easier the more you walk with Jesus. Temptation is less. I don't know about you. The longer I walk with him, the more aware of sin I am. The more more aware of my sin, and it just drives me crazy. Like when you're tempted, does it just drive you nuts? all the time. I'm like, God, I thought I was supposed to be better. Like, then you feel like a failure because you're tempted. And here's the thing. Can I just encourage you for just a second? If you're tempted and you're not wanting to sin, that's probably proof that you know Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin. That without the Holy Spirit in me, I'm not going to worry about sin. I'm just going to dive into it. It's, it's not like I, it's not like I don't want to. It's just, ah, this is what's normal to me. But if you're struggling against it, welcome to the fight. You're saying, I can't remember the last time I've been tempted. Uh, You might want to surrender to Jesus. (laughs) Brian, I'm in church. That means I'm a Christian. Ah, that's not what it means. That's like me saying, when I go to McDonald's, I turn into a Big Mac. Like, don't turn that into it. (laughs) Is it Jesus that you know? 
And then when you surrender to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes into you and the byproduct of relationship with the Holy Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things he actually wants us to experience. But why do I need all those things? Because I'm going to go through some tough stuff. So here's Paul just going, I haven't made it. Now watch this, verse 15. That those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. God will reveal it. God will reveal it. Guys, if you've been spending time reading God's words, which I'm praying that you do, because I'm convinced you can't know God's will if you're not in his word. Have you ever read a verse and then gone back and then read it, or, or maybe it's a chapter, and you, and you find that verse and you're going, that wasn't in there last time. It's not like you didn't notice. It's like, that wasn't in, like God. God just wrote me a special verse. Because I've read my Bible once. That sucker wasn't in there. Guys, I'm convinced of this. When you're reading scripture, you could read one passage at one point and something pops out. At that moment, stop and go, God, what is it you want to say to me? Because that's standing out for some reason. The next time you go through that passage, you might not even notice the last one that changed your life. Something else pops out and the Holy Spirit's going, now you're ready for this one. Guys, you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You get into the word of God so you know the will of God so you can hear God speak. But every time that something like that happens, realize that it's not that you found it, it's that God revealed it. He's revealing, which means he's in relationship, which means he's actually involved in our lives. He's instructing. But if you're not in it, don't expect to hear him. It is so important to get alone with him. It's the thing that we actually need so desperately He said, so, okay, so let those of us who are mature think like this. God will reveal. If you don't, God will reveal that also. But now watch this. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Verse 15 and 16, if I were to put it in a little phrase, here it is. We're all in process. Like if he hasn't revealed it yet, he will. And what you've already attained to, just lift the lat. And God will keep revealing. It's a process. But are you teachable in the process? Or, here's the thing. Do some of us, I threw myself in this. Do we ever get frustrated with those who might not be far along, as far along in the process as we are and go, why can't you be more like me? Rather than saying something like, why don't I show you what Jesus looks like? Only live up to what you've attained. So here's the thing. If a person doesn't know Christ, we don't act or we don't expect them to know Christ. Hey, you should be acting like Christ even though you don't know Christ person who just came to Christ. We shouldn't be expecting them to run the marathon. We don't do that with little kids. When babies learn to walk, they turn to take their first step. You know, parents, when that happened, and all of a sudden you see they're up on the table, they're just kind of like, and then that look of determination comes in their eyes. They're like, this is the day. This is it. All you people walk around on those things. Mine are all fleshy and fat, but we're doing it today. And all of a sudden they start to let go and mom's got... It used to be cameras. Now it's just our phones. Mom's got the phone. Dad's got the phone. Mom's looking at dad going, hey, you do video, I'll do still. And it's like a teamwork thing, like a tag team, like you're taking wedding photos. So we're all ready to go. We don't understand the still photos of a walking thing because the goal is to watch him walk, but whatever. Okay. So all of a sudden, he starts to take the step. Takes three steps and we're like, yeah! It's three steps. Think about it. When's the last time you looked at an adult? They get up from the table. Seriously. As they get up from the table, you're like, wait! This is the day. 
And then that person's just standing there going, what? Go, come on, come on. Yes? Oh my gosh, she's doing great. Yeah, three steps. You don't do that for us. Why? Because that's stupid. Now with little kids, babies, we don't go, hey, that's three steps. Why don't you run up? Why don't you run a hundred yards, slacker? And yet with Christians who just come to Christ, all of a sudden we'll think, why don't you run a hundred yards, slacker? And I think that for some of you, when you say that, Jesus is sitting there going, why don't you remember grace, sinner? We're all in process. What would it be like if we all remembered that this week? Is it possible? Think about it. Is it possible that we might actually show each other grace and patience, come alongside each other, rather than get so frustrated with one another? We'd actually practice the one another's. We'd love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, bear each other's burdens. At some point, we forgot. And some of you may sit and go, that's your opinion, Brian. That's fine. Some of you guys are so angry, yet you claim to know Jesus. And I sit there and go, where's your joy? I mean, you're so busy looking at his disciples. You don't even know what Jesus looks like anymore. What happened? What happened is that you became the God of your own life. And Jesus became the substitute that just helps you look better. We live up to what we've attained We help each other along the way. We never leave a brother or sister behind, but we keep moving forward. We stay teachable. We stay humble to receive. We lovingly confront with truth, not our opinion, not our tradition, but truth according to the scriptures. We lovingly receive it, and we keep going. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Whatever it takes to know Jesus, not just the byproduct of following Christ, He goes on from there, verse 17. So brothers and brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Doesn't that sound like an arrogant statement? This is where a lot of people look at Paul and go, gosh, you're such an arrogant jerk. Like who here would ever say, hey, join in imitating me? Unless they were being honest. I don't think Paul's being arrogant here. Think about it. Every week, people show up. In buildings like this, places of worship like this, some person gets up, starts to teach truth. That person is now saying, hey, these are the things that God has done in my life. These are the teachings or these are the truths that he's showing to me. I'm telling you, imitate me. This is what's worked. This is so amazing. We just don't say imitate me because that sounds like it's arrogant. But this is the same Paul who just got done saying, I'm not perfect. I haven't made it yet. This is the same Paul when he wrote the Christians in Rome. He's saying, hey, catch this. The things I don't want, the sin I don't want to do, I keep doing those things. And that thing that I want to do where I want to honor God, I'm not doing that. He goes, oh, who's going to save me from this body of death? And then he says, praise be to God. He'll save me from this body of death. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is it we look at Paul and go, arrogant, when I look at Paul and go, thank you, I'll imitate that. And then he said, I just want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. I haven't been made perfect, so imitate me. Does that not sound like a person who goes, hey, I kind of know where I'm going, haven't made it yet, well, why don't you come with me? Because I see the benefits of knowing Jesus. It's not arrogant. In fact, followers of Jesus, 
You should be looking and expecting from those of us who call ourselves leadership of churches, you should be expecting that we know where we're going, at least somewhat. And that we should be able to say, hey, imitate me. Come here. This is something else that he taught me. And then for us to come to go, hey, what's he telling you? And those who have been walking with Jesus for a while, I should be coming to you going, hey, what's the thing that's been working for you? How did you get so deep? How did your prayer life become so real and meaningful? Why don't you teach me? What if we can all just go, man, why don't you imitate me? I could never do that. Oh, we could if we were actually intentional about following and loving, knowing Jesus. I don't think that's arrogant. I think it's right. Isn't it great? He says, imitate me, which means like, come with me. We're in community. We're doing this together. Imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So it's not just himself, but he's thinking of other followers of Jesus. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Followers of Jesus, does it ache? Your heart, does it break you to know that there are people who are enemies of Jesus? Does it hurt us to know that people don't know Christ? That if they die separated from God, they will be separated from God in hell for eternity? And then maybe for some of you, you're like, well, that they should know. That's what you deserve. And it's like, no, we all deserve it. Do you not even understand that in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, and that's a, that's a book where God's ticked. Even in Ezekiel, goes, do you actually think that I rejoice over those who are evil when they die? Do you think I'm celebrating? Don't you think that I would actually prefer that they repent? So if God's heart is that sinners would repent into relationship with God, God, forgive us for our judgment of those that he deems to be objects of his grace. Because even with tears in my eyes, people live as enemies of the cross, Verse 19, their, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. It's like their appetites control them, and they think that they've got it, they think that they're free, but, guys, whenever you see that word but in scripture, something's changing. It could be a contrast, it could be word God, but God, but watch this one, but our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. I use that word citizenship, and I guarantee that some people are getting, sitting there going, oh, I want to talk about a topic when it comes about citizenship. Let's just push that to the side for just a second. Let's not be all political. Let's just be Jesus. And so why don't we push that to the side for just a second? He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Here's the thing. Did you know there's an, there's an oath of allegiance for those who come into the country, become citizens of the United States of America? There's actually an oath that they take. Those of us born into the country, we didn't do it. We don't say it. Why? We're born. I just wrote down part of it. And I thought, what if, followers of Jesus, if we actually believe that our citizenship is in heaven, what would it look like if we actually did this? This is how it starts. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. What if when we say, I'm a citizen of Christ, we actually stop flirting with hell? What if at some point, I'm just telling followers of Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, this is your time to just be sitting there going, get him, finally. Followers of Jesus, what if we actually said, okay, I'm a citizen of heaven. 
So I'm not trying to look like the world. I'm not trying to be cool like the world. Because guys, think about it. We're weird. Accept it. Own it. Love it. He said, no, we're not weird. Guys, we believe that our Jesus, who's fully God, fully man, fully God, became a person, was born, and was conceived, not through the normal process that every other baby's conceived, that he's born of a virgin. That's weird. We believe he died on a cross. He rose from the dead three days later. That's weird. People who don't know Christ are going to look at the beliefs that we hold on to and think that we're weird. It's okay. I didn't say this last service. I never watched the show The View. I don't understand it. Just sit and listen to four people on the TV. I'm like, I'd rather not. But it seems like they're sometimes angry the few times I've chimed in. And then there's Joy. Joy seems angry more than the rest of them, and her name's Joy. So I don't understand that part. But recently she said something about, about Christians, and if you hear, like, you hear voices in your head, that means you're mentally ill, or something like that. And I sat there, and then everyone just goes up in arms. Front page of stories, and she's getting all this mail, and some of you guys were offended by that. And I said, I go, why were you offended by that? Because that just sounds weird to people that don't know Jesus. If you have a thought come in your head, and you actually follow that thought, it's not a normal thought, and you're telling me that, hey, God told me to do this. That sounds weird. I was offended. I say this as lovingly as I can. Get a backbone. You can send a comment to Glenn G at PurposeChurch.com, but I'm telling you, Christians, at some point, we got to get a little bit tougher than we've been. We're so offended by every little thing. Jesus took a cross, and we can't take a critique. I don't understand it. It's weird. We are citizens of heaven. We have a God who's sovereign over all, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even be subject to all things to himself. He subjects everything to himself. Guys, we are citizens of that king and that kingdom. So when God says, I am sovereign over all, what's our response? Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, My joy and crown, here it is, this is our response because he's sovereign, because he's in control of everything, because there's some greater coming. Stand firm. Stand firm, Brian. Do you understand how hard this is? I do, and what does he say? Stand firm. And for some of you, you're looking at Jesus going, my marriage is almost over. He's like, stand firm. Maybe you're looking at Jesus going, do you know how hard it is to watch my kids suffer? And the father's going, I do. Because I watched my son suffer. Stand firm. But God, gosh, there's so, many, there's so many people that don't know you. Stand firm. I don't know how much longer I can hold on. Stand firm. Press on. Strain forward. As the worship team comes back up, it's crazy how it all fit together. In my quiet time, I'm in Isaiah. Believe it or not, it's opening up to me. Never had that happen. Isaiah's just discipline. I'm like, wow, there's actually good stuff in here. Chapter 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. 
Notice here that he'll wipe a tear from every eye. That kind of sounds like he's got a little tissue and, right? He's just, I don't want to get too close. But parents, if you've ever wiped tears from your kids' faces, the whole palm goes across their face. And it's not far. It's always close, right? He'll wipe away every tear. He'll wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. Just like it says in Philippians, he uses the word, we wait. And Isaiah he says, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So what do we do until we see God come through? We wait. We don't try to be God. We just wait. How do I know he comes through? How do I know he can do it? The cross. That's how I know he'll do it. How do, how do I know it'll come out? The tomb's empty. The resurrection of Jesus is supposed to be that thing that we look at as the hope of the world. We sit there and go, I can get through this because Jesus beat death. I can get through this because Jesus knows what it's like to go through this. I can get through this because God is for me, not against me. So I'm going to wait on him. We can keep trying to just come up with these principles and just saying, do this, things are great. Do this, never have a problem. You know what I'm saying? You follow Jesus. You want to live a life that's godly? Expect persecution. Find a backbone and wait on God. Why? Why would we do it? The surpassing worth of knowing him and if nothing else comes from that, praise be to God. It's all about Jesus. It's always been, and it always will be, about him. Can I pray for us? Jesus, thank you that you have made us yours. And you have made yourself. You've wanted us. So we are yours, and you are ours. And for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, may that be the whole reason that we live. And actually change us. Instead of expecting you to do more for us, we long to do things with you because we're yours. God, thank you that we're all in process. I pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. Love you all more than you know.